Uh, my name is Heath. I'm the lead pastor here at Reach, and I'm thankful that you're here this morning. Um, we're doing what we call walking in the Word. So when we're not in a series, um, we or I preach out of what you're reading in the one-year Bible. And so if you're like, what is the one-year Bible? You can actually go on the Bible app, and there is the, and it's trademark, the one-year Bible. There's lots of one-year Bible reading plans, but you can you can join that one today and be reading along with us. And so what you read this week, typically when we're doing this, what you read that week, I'm going to preach out of something that you read um, the previous week. So I think that's pretty awesome. That way, as you're reading it, you should be looking at it as, you know, what is God speaking? And so this week, um, I'm going to preach on something. Again, I said this last week. Um, and I don't mean to come off. I'm not really a harsh, mean guy. And not this is going to be harsh or mean, but it's very compelling in the sense of what God demands of us. Um, and so if you've ever heard of the, the topic, the greatest commandment, uh, if you've been around church, you probably are already reciting it in your head and you know it like, oh, yes, the greatest commandment. And the second one is like it. Blah. We're going to get into that. Uh, but we're going to talk about that today. And so kind of my one thing that I want us to get out of this, because I think sometimes we can read that and go, yeah, 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 yeah. That is the greatest commandment. Great. There's only two instead of 613, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, but what do we do with the greatest commandment? What do we do when we read that? So if you're reading along with us this week in Mark 12 and you read this, um, the dilemma of being in the word a lot at times, if we're not careful, like being in a constant reading, is that sometimes we'll just read and kind of push through and we don't stop and look at. And that's partly what I like to do with our Sunday mornings is stop and look at something that you may have read through. And so we're going to do that. So I'm going to ask you a few questions as we get started. And almost always the questions that I ask are rhetorical. So if you're new here, please don't shout out something. Don't answer. And most of the time, 99% of the time, if I ask you to raise your hand, I'm just like saying that like in your brain, I want you to raise your hand because you can get in trouble sometimes. Raise your hand. You know that? So I'm just trying to help you out. If you're new, I don't want you to be like the only person to be like, Okay, so I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I am going to ask you a few questions that I just want you to mull over um, in your head. So the first one is, how is your relationship with God? Just think about that for a second. Not how you want it to be, but how, how is it right now, this morning? Okay, here, here's another one. How do you think you're doing with what God, and this is going to seem kind of difficult, maybe. How do you feel that you're doing with what God has called you to do? Like, he hasn't called me yet, still waiting for the phone call. Um, But whether you know it or not, if you were a child of God, God has called you to do lots of things. Um, Some of those could be being a husband or a wife, a mother or a father, an employee or a missionary or a pastor or an employee of a company and being part of something, a neighbor. God could be is calling us to do lots of things. So how are you doing with that? This is where you're like, man, what a downer. It's sunny outside. Like I want a happy. And I'm going to make us happy, I think, at the end. 
So in the days of Jesus, just like us, we're kind of always wondering, like, how can we be better at what we do? Hopefully, if you're a child of God, your your common movement is how can I grow stronger? How can I grow deeper? How can I be more intimate with this God who desires a relationship with me? So in the days of Jesus, people just like us were interested in how to get things right or at least some were, just like today. Some people are interested and some people aren't, which is fine. Uh, there were a group of people that spent their lives devoted, which we're going to talk about today. They're going to be the ones asking the questions. Uh, their lives devoted to getting this right. They would even go as far to believe that they had everything in their lives, some of them, not all of them, everything's in their lives and world perfect. Other than, of course, being occupied by Rome. That was, of course, what's going on here. Um, they had their system and they worked it completely. And then Jesus came on the scene and began to disrupt everything. And so what we're going to talk about today um, is this guy who is a scribe. So there's lots of people that are mentioned in the Bible, a Pharisee, a Sadducee, a scribe. They're, they're all different types of uh, religious influence, influencers, whether they were the priest, whether they were the scribe who is um, in our modern vernacular would be kind of like the lawyer. They hold held mostly a non-priestly role, but they were in charge of either um, continuing the um, um, duplicating of the word and making sure that people understood the law because they were interested in that. So there's a couple of questions that were asked to Jesus leading up to this. And Jesus, of course, being Jesus, knocked him out of the park, meaning he answered him right. One was about <laughs> they're like, because oh. it was one group. The Pharisees that believed in the resurrection. There was another group, the Sadducees, that didn't believe that there was a resurrection. And so they were asking questions, trying to trip Jesus up to prove that he didn't know who, what he was talking about. And always trying to get them and everybody else to understand that Jesus wasn't who Jesus was claiming to be. And so this happened where they asked him, whoa, 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 whoa. They had this tradition. We don't do this nowadays. Um, to where if you're married... Let's say I had, there's the story is there was seven brothers and this oldest brother gets married to this woman and he dies without leaving a child to carry his name. So in their culture, the next son would marry his wife, try to have a children for the, for his brother, I mean, really confusing for his brother. So he would carry on his brother's line. But in the story, every single one of them died. I'm telling you about a third or fourth husband. I'd be like, no. I'll just take it. Just take me now, Lord. I, it is something that is not right to seven brothers, no children in there. Also, they could ask the question well, when they get to heaven in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? That was, uh, uh, okay. Who sits around and going, oh, seven. Yeah, yeah, I got one. I got one. It's my turn. And then they go to Jesus. So th this was just happening. They were asking him these questions. And Jesus, of course, being God, understood even before they asked the question why they were asking the question. And so this leads up to where we're going to be, which I'm going to read a verse in Romans um, 7 first. But we're going to start in um, Mark 12, verses 28, leading up to that point where a scribe comes. And, and there's, you know, differing opinions on whether he was trying to trip Jesus up or 
Some people believe that he heard him respond to the other two and was like, there's wisdom in this man and, and sincerely was asking this question. So they don't know completely that. So leading up to this point, how do we deal with this reality of what the greatest commandment is? So in Romans 7 verses 24 through 25, there's this guy named Paul. Paul is a guy who didn't plan on being a Christian. He was planning on living his life, being a very zealous Jew, destroying the early church. And God said, no, 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 no. No, no, no. You're, you're going to be mine. You're going to be my disciple. Paul becomes one of um, the probably most, not most, but a lot of the New Testament that you read today was written by this guy. And so Paul, which I mentioned a lot because I talked about Peter a couple weeks ago. I like Peter. I feel like I could connect with Peter. I feel like we could commiserate with our stupidity and be like, yes, we get it. Paul isn't that guy. Paul's like, you didn't brush your hair this morning. You didn't wash your hands like Paul rolled up if he was in church today, which he's not like you would all be buttoning this top button. You would all be fixing your hair. You'd pull the mints that you grab out or get it out of your kids pockets because they get like five or six when they go by. I've seen the shakedown, like sometimes parents are like, come on, let's see what you got. And they're like packing on the mints. But we're all about some fresh breath. So we're for that. Uh, and they're lifesavers. They've got a hole in them. So they're great. Um, so there's this Paul guy who's just like, in my mind, as you read him, you're like, he is the perfect of perfects. Like he is the guy that you would never. If you ever met a Christian, you're like, you've never struggled with sin. And like you look at them, you're not saying that like being sarcastic, like you look at them and like. You just think like they they don't think bad thoughts. They've never had a crossword with their spouse. They've never lost their cool with their children. I mean, there's some people and I've been around those people. And I know that that's not real because you get to know them and find out the truth. But but you look at Paul kind of being like that. So Paul has this epiphany, not epiphany, but it's, it's written in in verse um, chapter seven, which I love. And there's debate on whether this was written pre or post Paul's salvation. I think it's post, meaning Paul is saved, saying these things. I think that's important. So in verse 24, he just went through this thing like, oh, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do. And then you get to 24, which is on the screen. Wretched man that I am. So we're, we're getting ready to go into the greatest commandment where God's saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All, not some, not when it's convenient, all. And probably more of us feel like Paul than we feel like, yes, greatest commandment, check. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then verse 25, it says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Like there's this internal struggle because hopefully anyone in this room that says I am a child of God, you're struggling through the reality of how do I live this out? How do I live the greatest commandment out? And some days we're going to feel like Paul. And the beauty of if you continue on, if you go into Romans 8, 1, it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So like we, we have this oh wretched man that I am who can save me from this body of sin. But oh, thanks be to Jesus. And then you get into 8, 1, which, you know, there is therefore now no condemnation 
I'm not talking about conviction. Like God convicts us all the time. Conviction moves us to action and change. Condemnation destroys you. It's, it's, that's it. There's no coming back from condemnation. That's at least how you feel. And so this leads us up into verse 28 of uh, Mark 12. It's going to be on the screen, but you can also come um, open it up in your Bibles. And I, I told you all what happened before. You know, they've been testing Jesus. And then in verse 20, it says, One of the scribes, a, a lawyer of the day, came up and heard him disputing with the others and seeing that he answered them well, ask him, which commandment is the most important of all which commandment and this is a guy who's a lawyer he knows all of the commandments he knows all of the rules it is part of his life call to make sure they're clear and that everyone has access to them and that they're being taught and and heard and that no one will twist them that he keeps them pure that's what this guy's thing and see we think, when we think, when you hear the word commandments, most of us in the room think the Ten Commandments, right? Well, in this day, there was one estimate that the Ten Commandments have spawned into 613 lesser laws. So not just ten. So he wasn't just saying, hey, what's the greatest of the ten? He was saying, what's the greatest of the 613 lesser laws? 248 of them were positive. Like, do this and you get a prize. Positive. Didn't say that, but, you know, you get the point. The other was negative. Do this and you will be punished. 613. And here is a scribe coming to Jesus going, hey, tell us what's at the top of the list. I'm sure that in his circles, in the circles they run, there's always someone going, oh, this one's more important than the other. You know, you're, 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 that's the conversation that's going on. And so in verse 29, Jesus answered him says, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. Jesus quoted almost directly from their holy scriptures. Uh, he quoted um, Deuteronomy 6, I think 3 and 4, maybe 4 and 5. Should have written that down. But what's even crazier than this, not that only that he, he, he quoted Deuteronomy 6, but um, in the Jewish culture, there's, and I'm, I'm sorry, I, try, I listened to this word. So if you go home later and be like, he mispronounced that, forgive me. And if you have any Jewish background, I apologize in advance. The Shema. The Shema is a prayer that, uh, it, it, from what I read, it was one of the first prayers learned by Jewish children. They would say it every morning and every night, twice a day. And, and most of the people in the hearing of this have said these words every day, morning and night. Morning and night, it was one of the first things. And the Shema has a little bit more, but it does have that first part. O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And then it goes into talking about love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And with all your strength. And they would repeat that. Like so here. The Shema literally is this. And this is English. <laughs> I did listen to it in um, Hebrew. I was like. No. Not going to happen. I could have recorded it. And let her. Uh, the lady I was listening to. It, it, in English it is. Hear O Israel. The Lord 
is our God. The Lord is one. Blessed be the name whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. See, this is not something they're like, oh, where did that law? It was something they had heard over and over and over again. They were familiar with this. And so he didn't stop that. And it's singular that he asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus, of course, gives them the greatest commandment. But then he adds another one. So in verse um, two, he gives them the greatest commandment. And then the second greatest commandment, the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And if you look at it, these two commandments that they've been given sum up the law altogether, because if you love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and your mind and your soul and your strength and you love your neighbor as yourself. If you do those two things, you keep every one of the six hundred and thirteen laws. You, you, you're perfect because you're not going to defame who Jesus is. If you love him, you're, you're going to love those around you. And if you love others as yourself. Done. The problem is, as we hear those things, and this is what I just kind of stirred in my mind this week as I was reading this. And maybe you don't want to hear this. I don't know. Um, I haven't perfected this. Like when it says, oh, I think we yes, I love God. And yes, I love him with my heart and my soul and my mind and my strength at times, sometimes better than others. Anybody else? Don't raise your hand. Remember? Okay. But that's how I feel. Like I I look at that and I I looked at that and there's 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 a potential for the enemy to condemn us in that because in my mind, I'm going not all, not all, not all, not all. There's an issue. It's the one thing Jesus said. This is the greatest commandment, because later on, he says, if you're my disciples, do what I've commanded you. Convicting, terribly convicting. And there's one of two things that can happen with this is that you can be you can walk out of here today and go, you're right. I'm not all I'm never going to be all. And I'm just why even try? You can be defeated before you even start. Actually, there's three ways you can do that. The second way is you can come out of here and go grace The grace of God is great and he loves me in spite of and I can do whatever I want to do. And he's still going to love me this cheap grace. Or we can understand that it is and we're I'm going to talk through some of this part. We can realize that, yes, you're not perfectly living this out. I'm not perfectly living this out, but God has called us to move in that direction. And our life from here on is progressively from glory to glory, going from one part to the next, trying to get closer and closer to this reality. Do I think we can achieve this here in these bodies? No. But that does not mean we don't strive, because in the striving is where the relationship is. As as we draw near to him, he draws near to us in our striving to love him with these things, because it takes practice because our heart wants everything else. And our mind is 
so interested in everything else. I mean, I will waste a time with my mind doing frivolous things. At the end of the night, at the end of the night of watching a stupid show, won't name any names because there's no judgment. Okay, but after watching a show that you're like, what did I just do for the last thirty, forty-five, three hours? Who knows? Just saying. Do you ever get to the end of those and go, man, I mean, I feel it at the end of like watching a show. I'm like, I almost feel like the Holy Spirit. Like, what could I have done with that time? Because how many times do we say, if I just had more time, oh, I would study the word. I would read more books. You got plenty of time. Now, there's some people in this room that probably don't. And I apologize because you never turn on the TV and you're busy 24 seven. And I'm talking about you. So don't feel like. You don't know me, but the majority of us have time that we can take from other places so that we can get our love stronger. And so in verse 32, well, hold on, in First um, John four nineteen through 20, and this, this is on this love the neighbor part, and just so we make sure that we're on the same page, it says we love because he loved us first. Or sorry. We love because he first loved us. 20. If anyone says, I love God. And lots. Just watch Facebook. Some hate on Facebook for some really good Christians. If I say, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom God has seen, he cannot love God whom he has not seen. And you're like, well, that, those are other people. Um, if you just want to realize what loving your neighbor is, read the story of the Good Samaritan. And realize that really your neighbor is anyone that you come in contact with. Even some of those people that hold opposite views of you on social media. I stole this from somewhere. I don't remember where. I'm not going to take credit for it. It says, Christ held, based on this, that we cannot truly love God without loving our neighbor. And we cannot truly love our neighbor without loving God. It says, Quantry, these two go together. Like, we cannot go to the second one. We cannot love our neighbor if we don't understand how to love our God. Because if we love God, we begin to understand who he is, what he's done for us. And in that, we have the capacity to love other people. Just like you said, we love because he first loved us. Verse 32, it says, the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, that there is no other beside him and to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength and to love one's neighbor as one's oneself is much more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. In verse 34, it says, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. They're not smart because they do it later on. I mean, they just keep on. I think one group, I don't know if you ever get around boys specifically, 
You know, they would never do some dumb things by themselves. But you get other boys around and it's like, yeah, this is a good idea. Let's jump off the roof <laughs> into the trampoline. Just watch YouTube. You, I mean, I love it. Keep doing it, videoing it. Send me a link to it. I mean, I, I like watching it. I don't do that anymore. I get hurt on trampoline parks. You know, not doing anything stupid. Just just jumping up and down. So definitely not going to jump on my roof uh, onto a trampoline. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this tension that's there, that's there right now? If you've heard this and you claim to be a Jesus follower, then you're, you, there's a tension in you that you aren't at the all yet. Not A-W-E, the A-L-L. You're not at the all. So what do we do with that tension? See, Jesus simplified the 613 rules, laws into two, which is much easier than the 613, at least remember them. That tension that we have is understanding that in our effort to strive for the all, I'm not going to diminish and say that, oh, you're not responsible for that because you cannot. That Jesus was the only one ever that had the capacity to love the Father with all his strength, with all his mind, with all his soul, with all his strength. So we don't get off the hook in the sense that we don't have to do any of these things, but we have a in the middle of that, we have a God who is preparing us for this. So in Romans 8, 34, which the beginning of Romans 8, and I know I talk about Romans 8, you maybe think that's the only chapter that I read in Romans. Um, it is pretty great. It is. I mean, it is. You could you could spend the rest of your life. So uh, one church um, spent eight years preaching verse by verse through Romans. Eight years. So Romans 8, verses 3 through 4, helps with this tension because we realize in, in the beginning of that is that, that it is part of our responsibility. As we set our minds on things of the Spirit, we're going to reap things of the Spirit. If we set our minds on things of the flesh, we're going to reap things of the flesh. And in verse 3, it says, For God has done what the law, 613, 10, or 2, weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The righteous requirements of the law fulfilled in you, not by what you do, but what why, but what Jesus did for us. But there is a responsibility for us. It says who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. It is still part of our responsibility to strive for this, because you are going to be most satisfied in your life when you're most surrendered to Jesus, your Creator, who has designed you, built you for His service, built you to walk into these works that He's prepared in advance for you to walk into. He did that for us. He did what we could not. So in that today, I just tell you, if you feel just beat up about where you've been and how you feel like you're doing and where you feel like you're going right now, I want to tell you that Jesus has the grace to lift you out of that. 
Jesus has done what you couldn't. That right now, regardless of yesterday, if you're a child of God, the righteousness of God is yours. Not because of your effort. But it still means that we have a responsibility to pursue the things of God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And I, I know, I know, not many of you woke up this morning, like popped up in bed and be like, Righteousness of God! You didn't look at your spouse and be like, You're sleeping next to the righteousness of God! You didn't walk into church this morning and said, Pastor, I don't know if you've met me, Righteous of God. We don't think like that, but this is what God has done for us. So as we get closer and closer to the reality of loving God with all of these parts, that means we have to do things with our heart. That means you may have to go back and listen to Alan's two-week series on idolatry because our heart is something that we have to contend with. We're going to have to remove things that are occupying God's space and with our mind. We're going to have to remove things that are just distracting and polluting our brain so that we can have time and the capacity to get into his word and our soul and our strength. I mean, we're literally going to have to, in our own, make effort to say, God, I, it, like, literally, it's waking up in the morning and saying, God, I am yours. Forget about His mercies are new every morning. If you're beating yourself up about yesterday, now I'm not talking about not repenting, and I'm not talking about not dealing with sin that has hurt you or hurt other people, but I'm saying if you're beating yourself up about something that you've repented of and you've dealt with, then you're losing something that God has given you. His mercies are new today so that, not so that we can be washed clean in a sense that we don't have to think about or worry about so that we can move forward. That's where God has called you today. I don't know if anybody's watched the movie Meet the Robinsons. I think one of the greatest things that happened when I had children is I got to watch animated movies and not feel bad about it. I got to take them. You want to go to the movie? Yes. But Meet the Robinsons, if you've not watched it. Woo! But like this whole thing is this kid who feels left out and, and has no family and he just wanted to be connected. And, and there was this part that he, I won't ruin it if you haven't seen it, but there's this part where this person uh, from the future keeps telling him this, this line, this mantra that he lived by. And it was keep moving forward, keep moving forward because he was an inventor. And as a child, every one of his inventions failed uh, for those that are allergic to peanuts, there's a cute little scene in there where he wants to make these automated peanut butter and jelly sandwiches because his family looking to adopt him. <laughs> it sprays all over the dad who's allergic to peanuts. It's not cute if you're allergic to peanuts, but it's like, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and he, but it's failure. He's trying so hard to be connected, to be loved, and he's failing over and over again. And, and the reality is that mantra is our mantra. I love it. I can sit across from anyone in this room and believe more about the possibility of what God has for you than you do. Because 
I understand that you don't have the ability anyway. Physically. Emotionally. Because you've done it already. You wouldn't be having a conversation with me. Not that everybody, if you see me talking to somebody in a coffee shop, that mean their life is in chaos, okay? But the reality is, I can look across the room because I'm not looking at you with the possibility of what you can do. I'm looking at you thinking the possibility of what God can do in and through you when you're willingly surrendering to Him. This is the call. See, perfection is impossible. So our goal today is more. Honestly, I've been thinking a lot about our vision and values of the church, and uh, we've got them written out, but my, my vision for the church and for Reach and for Leland, it literally can be summed into one word, more. More disciples. More people surrender to Jesus. More lives being restored. More marriages being healed. More. It's not a number. Like I don't care what our number is. I care, is it more? And so today, all I would ask for you today is, I just want you to desire more than you have right now. And that may mean more mind. You're deciding willingly to read more of your Bible. Surrendering more of that. There's so many things. See, I don't want you to get lost in the defeat of the lack of perfection. See, allow the goodness and mercy of God to motivate you for more, more heart, more mind, more soul, more strength. So that you can move in that direction, because let me just tell you, as you surrender more to this loving God with all of you, everything will get better. Your marriage will get better if you surrender more to Jesus. If you love Him more, there is no way that your marriage can't get better. Your relationship with your children, your relationship with people around you, your ability to fight sin that is present in your life is going to get easier as you surrender more to God. I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up. It is uh, today we're going to do communion. And if you've not been at our church for communion, I know communion can be a little stressful, especially when you're in your new place. And you're like, I don't know what to do. What's going to happen? Uh, I'm going to explain it. I'm going to tell you who's available to take communion. Um, so communion, uh, we have two tables up front. Um, they are, uh, we do communion by intention, which just means that you, you pick up a piece of gluten-free bread. So all the bread that is up here is gluten-free. Uh, and you dip it in the juice that's on the table and then you can take it back to your seat. You can go to a corner. You can pray by yourself or you can pray with your family and take it together. Um, and that's how we do communion. So when you see people go up there, I don't want you to get up there and be like, Never seen it like this. I don't know what to do. And pick up the cup and take a drink. I mean, I mean, I don't know what the people behind you are think, but, you know, if you plan on doing that, try to be the last. Um, who is communion for? So if you're new here, I know some places it's like communions for people that are members. Communion is for this specific group at reach communion 
is available to everyone that has said yes to Jesus. So if you've said yes, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus, even if this is your first Sunday, you don't know anyone in this room, you are welcome at his table. Because he said, do this in remembrance of me. And the beauty of what we're talking about today of love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength is is communion is a reminder that you cannot, but he can. Communion is a reminder that you could not bring your own salvation by your works and by your effort, but he did. And as you take this bread and this juice, which are literally just bread and juice, but they're the symbol of his broken body and his shed blood for us. And as we take communion, it is a reminder to ourselves and a proclamation to others that we are not our salvation. That Jesus Christ and his death, burial and resurrection is our salvation for those who believe. And so let communion be a restoration for you. Let communion be in you today, a reminder that there is a possibility, as long as you're living and breathing, if you're here in this room, that God can bring a hundred percent restoration to the things around you as you surrender. And so what we do, we're going to go back in to worship. There's going to be a song playing. Um, I, I ask you just to kind of sit, reflect if you need to. You know, this morning might be the reality of you going, God, I'm not at the all, in any of those, but I want to be. I want to be surrendered. And so I just ask you to sit for as long as it takes. And then when you're ready, come up and get communion. And then we're going to worship a God who has given us life, who has set in us the ability to even now be righteous. Right here, sitting in this room, there's a righteousness that we have access to that comes from the Father through the Son, period, for all those who believe. So if you're in the room and you have not surrendered to Jesus, or maybe you've been around Christianity, but you've really never surrendered to Jesus, all you have to do to begin a relationship with Him is concede your ability. Repent of your inability to do what God has called you to do, which is to lead a perfect, sinless life. Surrender to Jesus. Proclaim that He was the one that did in you what you could not. He lived the life that you were required to live. He died the death that we deserve to prove and to show who He was. And on the third day, just like He said, He came out of that tomb. And the resurrection and the life we have access to. So you can sit here and just go, God, I need you. And we're also going to have, at the end of service, afterwards, we'll have people up here for prayer. If there's things that are going on in your life that you just need prayer over and prayer with, um, come to them. So I'm going to pray. We're going to go right into worship and communion. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, it is right now, by your grace and your mercy, that we have access to the throne room through your son's sacrifice. So, Lord, as we humble ourselves, as we prepare ourselves for communion, I pray right now that you would do in us what we cannot do for ourselves, that you would stir a hunger and a desire to have more of you, to have more of our heart, more of our soul, more of our mind, more of our strength devoted 
to you. And Lord, that you would give us the ability to understand your love to us so that we can love those around us. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes and hearts for our brothers and our neighbors that we're surrounded. And so, Lord, I pray that um, as we take communion, as we worship, Lord, I pray that chains would be released from us, that sin would be forgiven, that our lives would be laid down to you, the one who gives us life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.